Hi there, everyone, and thank you very much for joining me for a late-night edition of the Saber Talk podcast. I'm coming at you live from Charlotte, North Carolina, here for a couple nights for work. Um, so out on the out on the East Coast, pretty far away from home right now. Um, but here to talk about the Sabers, one nothing loss to the Anaheim Ducks. So first, Robin Leonard, he's he's the reason why the Sabers stayed in this game. The whole game, I thought he played very well, and I think the shots on goal didn't really indicate how lopsided this game was. There were lots of premium scoring chances for the Ducks, and there were quite a few that went wide that weren't counted as shots on goal. The Ducks really dominated the vast majority of this game, and if you were just looking at the shots numbers and you hadn't actually watched the game, you may think this was pretty close. You know, a one nothing game where shots were 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 fairly close, but the Ducks really dominated this game, so props to Leonard for having another another good game. He's been much more good than bad this year um, since he's come back from this uh, from his long-term injury. So great to see another another good game for him, and it's fun to fun to watch him continue to develop and continue to really take this number one job and and run with it because this is the first time in his NHL career where he's had a real extended run as a number one goalie and where he's the guy there's not somebody challenging him he doesn't have to be looking over his shoulder every game worry about giving up one bad goal and all of a sudden Craig Anderson now is going to be leaned on for the foreseeable future he doesn't have that anymore so he's really taking it and running with it so props to him he's one of the one of the few guys I'll I'll say was was a glaring positive tonight. The Ducks, I thought they played a great game. They played, they had a really, they did a really good job of of mucking up the neutral zone, and I thought their breakouts were very crisp. And it was really this way all game. They they weren't succumbing to the Sabers forecheck. The Sabers weren't really able to able to establish a forecheck most of the game. So I thought it was just a very smooth, solid, crisp. I think is the right is the right word to describe it. Game. And I guess when you're thinking about it from their perspective, breaking out in terms of um, playing defensively, they were just doing a great job of, of making everything difficult for the Sabres. What will probably stand out from this game was just how bad the Sabres' power play was. And it really, I don't know what the stats were on this, but it seemed like the Ducks had more scoring chances on the penalty kill than the Sabres did on the power play. And really every time the Sabres went on the power play, it was a momentum killer because you finally, you're hoping, and I'm sure they were hoping the same thing, watching the game. I know I felt this way, but you hope, okay, this is going to be the power play where they can turn this around and get a couple chances. You know, Maybe not score, but they can establish something, stay in the zone for a long period of time, and maybe build off of that. But they really weren't able to do that the entire game. So that was extremely frustrating, and that's what's going to stick out in my mind probably primarily. Another thing that's that that would be a close second were those late icings and like I said the Ducks did such a good job of mucking up the neutral zone the Sabres really had trouble entering setting up in the offensive zone all night so I thought the last two minutes where the Sabres just couldn't get Robin Leonard to the bench because they kept icing the puck or um, when they dumped the puck in the the Ducks would have a quick breakout I thought it was a perfect microcosm of, of this entire game I try. I really. I really try not to harp on officiating much in this podcast. I rarely talk about it. Maybe once every five or six games, I even bring it up, if that even. But I thought that 
the officiating was was pretty horrible tonight, and a few a few things stick out. Um, I could talk about it probably for longer, but I thought they made a really ticky tack call on Mark Pesic on uh, on a stick lift. I I retweeted it. Somebody had a gif of it on on Twitter, and literally all he did was lift the guy's stick. I forget who it was, and he just went crumbling into the boards, like lifted his stick as he was falling, and Pesic gets called for interference. But then it wasn't just that, but then they they were missing all this blatant interference later on in the game and throughout really the rest of the game. I thought one thing that stood out late was when Kessler, he took down Pesic after the, the puck had left because they had been tied up together. And it was for a good five, five seconds that they were in the corner together and Kessler was initiating the whole thing. And Pesic got back up, was able to get the puck, make a nice breakout pass. But I was pretty shocked they didn't call interference or holding there, especially with some of the other ticky-tack calls that were made throughout this game. So I thought the officiating was just was off the mark tonight, really off the mark. That's that's putting it nicely. The only offensive line I really liked tonight was the Foligno-Larsen-Gianta line. And with how critical I've been in the past of Felino and Gianta, it's so surprising to me that so often they're in my, you know, in my positives that I talk about. And, you know, they're I, I've mentioned several times. I think they they were the best offensive line on the ice for the Sabers in a given night. And so I I don't really think I'm biased in favor of this line, but they just continue to get it done. They they've got good chemistry and they do what you want a third line to do. They they all they bring they each bring something different to the table and just been getting it done. Gianta finally, I think, has found his niche. He really struggled early in the year when they were trying to have him be a scoring line forward, but this is the perfect spot for him. And I thought tonight he was really the only saver that, that could consistently get scoring chances. And he had the best chance of the night with the puck laying in the crease after Felino had that nice drive to the net in the third period where he went between the two defensemen. And I was really shocked that he didn't he didn't bury that that. Gianta didn't bury that chance, but I, I do think it would have been overturned. Boudreaux would have challenged it in all likelihood, and it looked like Felino made pretty good contact with, with Anderson. So I don't think it would have counted ultimately, but Gianta's really the only saber I could say that was dangerous tonight. I thought Jack Eichel struggled again. He struggled against the Penguins, struggled again tonight. He made... A few glaring mistakes in the defensive zone, a couple times on the on the power play, I remember, and just I don't know was was a step late a lot in the defensive zone. I I think he also struggled in the offensive zone with the continued increased attention put on him by opponents. And since O'Reilly has gone down, Eichel has really become the guy that you can key in on him so much more because now O'Reilly isn't there anchoring another line, and it was sim- also similar to the Pittsburgh game where he just seemed to get worse as the checking got tighter and and as he was keyed on more and more. So this is something that he'll 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 figure out. He'll he'll learn. He's a rookie and to have that kind of pressure on a rookie, obviously very few guys are going to be able to flourish in that in that type of environment, which is one of the great one of the reasons why the the O'Reilly acquisition was so great because it was it enabled Eichel to be sheltered a little bit. But now without O'Reilly there, 
there isn't that sheltering there anymore. So I think it's a good opportunity to see how he see if he can start to figure it out down the stretch here because this is going to continue over the next few weeks when uh, with O'Reilly out. So I'm really interested to see how he how he responds to this and it doesn't help that I thought McGinn really struggled tonight and he's one of those guys that when he isn't bringing it in the offensive zone and things aren't really clicking there, he doesn't really bring anything else to the table. He's not a good defensive forward. He's not going to be hounding on the on the forecheck. He, he's not bringing much else to the table. There's really no other way to put it. And he has produced pretty well as of late. He has been bringing it in the offensive zone and doing what, you know, what he's done throughout his NHL career. But tonight he wasn't. He made a couple boneheaded passes. I thought the puck died on his stick quite a few times. Uh, but I'm just hoping this doesn't impact his trade value because we're coming up on the on the trade deadline on Monday, which I'm pretty excited for. Um, Reinhardt, I thought he was relatively invisible, and he's gone through a couple of rougher stretches like this throughout the year. Expected from a rookie. Overall, he's been very good. But uh, with how he's played the last couple games, it seems like it's the start of another one of those rougher stretches where he becomes more invisible. I thought he just really wasn't creating anything, wasn't noticeable, and they need him to be, especially, you know, I hate to continually bring up O'Reilly, but with O'Reilly out, they need Reinhardt to be a catalyst. And I think to kind of come out from under under O'Reilly's wing and make, some, make things happen on his own, but I don't think he was able to do that tonight. Um, shifting more to the defense, I really didn't like the McKay-Bogosian pairing tonight. I think... They, they just bring out the worst in each other for whatever reason. I really haven't liked them much at all when they've been together, and I'm kind of surprised that they keep going back to it. You know, The, the pairings will change, but then McCabe and Bogosian have played a, a good portion of games together this year. Conversely, I thought Pesic had a very solid game, and I'd, I'd really like to see that McCabe-Pesic pairing from early, earlier in the year reunited. First of all, I don't think Pesic belongs playing on the third pairing with someone like Carlo Koliakovo. I think it's a waste of waste of his ability and his talents. And with how well McCabe has been playing as of late, I didn't think he played great tonight, but with how well he's been playing recently, I think it makes a ton of sense to reunite them. And if you can get a long-term pairing with those two, that's awesome. Both young guys, and they seem to complement each other pretty well. Having Pesic next to him allows McCabe to, to run around a little bit, you know, jump up in the play more than maybe he otherwise would, and that's when he's at his best. And Pesic can just be that solid, steady kind of partner. I mentioned Koliakovo. I thought he struggled tonight, made some bad decisions with the puck, and just noticeably beat and step late a couple of times. I, I understand he's a placeholder for the rest of the year, and he's not in this team's future plans, but if especially if they move another defenseman, he's really going to have to shake the rust off. For this, for this last uh, 21 games. So it's really been a recurrent theme of this podcast, and I touched on it a little bit talking about the O'Reilly injury. But this team just has horrible depth, and when a team has horrible depth, when one guy either gets hurt or somebody has an off night, or it, God forbid, a couple guys have an off night, it just makes the team so much worse. And thankfully. Depth is easier to put in place than the than the building block pieces, and they've got the building block pieces in place. 
it seems like at least most of the building block pieces in place, but there's still a lot of work to be done in terms of in terms of building depth and in terms of getting guys in place here where one injury or one guy having having an off stretch doesn't destroy your team and doesn't take you from being borderline NHL caliber and competitive to bad. So that's I think that's one of the main goals of this offseason. You're probably gonna get another building block piece with with that first round pick and may try to make a big move for a defenseman, but I think they're also gonna make some smaller moves, whether they're signings or, or trades or or what have you, for some of those depth pieces. You know, maybe a rock solid younger fourth line center or you know, I, I don't know. They're there are a lot of different a lot of different ways you can go. Another complimentary winger, a young guy that fits the age timeline of this of this team. There there are a lot of different pieces that that could be brought in. And this kind of relates to the Mike Weber trade, which I have to talk about. I it happened after my prior podcast. I, I really like this trade a lot for the Sabers. Obviously, it's not something to go partying in the streets about, but to get a third for your number seven defenseman and a number seven defenseman on a bad team, specifically a bad defensive team, just really great value. And I understand that third-round picks, they they don't turn into NHL players often, but this just gives Tim Murray another piece of ammo to either look to trade up in the draft or for another lottery ticket or to acquire those depth pieces that I was just talking about where the Sabres really take the next step from being maybe a, a promising team that it's tough to play on any given night to a playoff team or to a contender. They need to add those kind of depth pieces, which draft picks are they're the universal currency, especially for teams that are up against the cap, and teams probably will be up against the cap this offseason, and the Sabres having a lot of cap flexibility and a lot of picks. They should be in a position to try to poach some talent from other teams and some of those depth complementary pieces, hopefully for, you know, not maybe quarters on the dollar or less than they typically would be worth just because of cap constraints that so many teams are under. Um, and best of luck to Mike Weber. I, I think he, he's been a good soldier. He's a likable guy, been great in the community, been here for a long time. He was the longest tenured Sabre still on the team. It's now Tyler Ennis. And I'd love to see him go win a championship in, in Washington. I think that's the team I'm going to be rooting for in the East. And I was going to be rooting for them prior to this trade, but this solidifies that, strengthens that. So best of luck to him out there. And it looks like he's probably going to be the number seven right now. They're, they picked him up for defensive depth. They want to have eight solid defense. But I, think, I believe they have Chorney also, Taylor Chorney also in the press box. And gives them eight NHL caliber defensemen. And it'd be it'd be great to see him get a to to get a ring. And if the Sabres really do want to bring him back and the feeling's mutual. He'll be a free agent, and they can make an offer to him. It's happened before Matt Molson, Cody McCormick, where guys were traded away and came back in the in the ensuing offseason. So best of luck to him. The Sabres' next game, it's Friday night versus the Sharks, another late game. Uh, Sharks are pretty comfortably in playoff position. They're up by 10 points on Arizona in the weak Pacific division. Almost assuredly, three teams are going to make it from the Pacific, and it's going to be L.A., Anaheim, and San Jose. And the rest of the Pacific teams are pretty weak. Arizona's the best of them, but they only have 60 points. 
and the Sharks, they've played quite well as of late, and they're always dangerous with, with their big guns healthy and uh, somewhat firing at all c- cylinders. You've got you know Pavelski, Joe Thornton, Logan Couture, uh, Burns, Vlasic, and Marlowe, though Marlowe's play has kind of fallen off this year from, from what you're used to from him. But when you've got, especially those first five that I named, you've got Pavelski, Thornton, Couture, Burns, and Vlasic all playing very good hockey. It's a tough team to beat, and they're going to be dangerous uh, playoff opponent for whoever they end up playing. It looks like probably will be the Ducks in the first round with how hot the Ducks are. The Ducks could up, end up winning that division, and it could end up being L.A. and, um, and San Jose playing. There's still a lot of hockey left to be played, so I don't want to get, I don't want to be talking about playoff matchups yet. But I think they're going to be a tough, tough matchup for for anyone. When you've got five guys like that that are really top notch, you know, stud NHL players, they're going to be a tough team, tough team to play, and they're going to be a tough team for the Sabers to face, for sure. And what's really helped them be hot recently, Martin Jones has played very well. He started the season kind of slow, and they acquired him in the offseason trade with, with L.A., and he's had a couple rough stretches throughout the year. His numbers overall aren't incredible. They're pretty good. I, I believe his save percentage is .916, and his goals against average is like 2.39, something like that. Um, but recently, he's played extremely well. He's got four straight wins in his last four games. Uh, only two goals allowed during those four wins. So he had two two shutouts over that span and two one-goal games. 110 saves on 112 shots. So over a 980 save percentage for him in his last four games. So this is another team that's hot. We're getting the, the good side of the Pacific Division, the, the dangerous side of the Pacific Division. So it'll be interesting once again to see how the Sabres bounce back from this. And I'm not confident. West Coast trips are always difficult, and they're especially difficult when you're both not playing well. You've lost arguably your most important player to injury, and you're playing good teams. So that'll be an interesting one. Hopefully I'll have another podcast out on Friday night after that game, maybe Saturday morning. Uh, but thank you once again so much for listening and for all the all the diehards on the East Coast that, that stayed up late to watch this game. So, all my best.